Thanks for joining us for this recording from the Southdale Church of the Nazarene in Anderson, Indiana. I'm Pastor Brad Burrow, and I'm glad you're listening. It's Advent season, and we're preparing for the coming of Jesus the Messiah with a series we're calling A Thrill of Hope. Even though at times things in our world might seem almost hopeless, Advent reminds us that God is busy making all things new. Thanks again for listening. Now here's the message. Luke chapter 21 is where I'd like you to turn. Uh, Luke chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, great. If not, we have Bibles in the pews that you can use. You can get on your phone or your tablet. We like to recommend the YouVersion Bible app because it works pretty well. But one way or another, find your way to Luke chapter 21. And I'd like to start reading this morning at verse 25. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. There will be signs in the sun moon and stars on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea people will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken at that time they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory And when these things begin to take place, stand and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I I pray that you would bless the reading of your word today. As we begin to talk about it, as we begin to listen with the ears of faith to what your Spirit has to say, I pray one more time that you would be faithful to your word. Help us understand the word you'd have us to hear today. And then give us the courage to live and do it. That we might become more like Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Here we are at the outset of Advent. The beginning of the season of hope and expectation. Maybe it's just my experience with them, but I have a suspicion. I have a suspicion that the most dangerous words ever spoken are these. After all, it can't get any worse. Has anyone ever told you that? It can't get any... Now, normally those words are spoken to to proffer hope. You know, things are going to get better. That's the philosophy behind it. Things are going to get better. Things have to get better. Because after all, they can't, right? They can't get any worse. But I don't know about you. I don't know about you. It seems to me that every time those words are spoken, life takes that as a challenge to prove the speaker wrong. 
I can just picture the scene in my mind. The, the messenger has just run in and breathlessly delivered the devastating news. Uh, the Sabines have attacked. Uh, they put your servants all to the sword. They've stolen all of your cattle and all of your donkeys. And I'm the only one who escaped. And I don't know that it went down this way, but in my imagination, the Bible doesn't say this, but in my imagination, at just about that time, Job's buddy Eliphaz said, hey, look at the bright side, right? Things can't get any worse. Now, maybe it didn't go down exactly like that for Job, but it has for countless others, including me. This idea that we should have hope because things can't get any worse. I, I remember, in particular, as I was thinking about times I've heard those words, I was remembering an experience. It's probably been more than a decade ago now. A little bit more than that. Uh, we... At our home outside Middletown, um, we bought it. It is a very old house, and it had a very, very old roof when we bought it. And so we set out one summer to replace the roof on our home. It's not a big house. It shouldn't have been a difficult task. So I called a friend, and I called some family members, and they all gathered at my house to start tearing off the roof and putting on the new one. We gathered. It was July. Uh, actually, I think it was June. It was June. We gathered in to do that, the very beginning of June started tearing it off, and it wasn't a surprise. I was expecting it because I could see from the attic side of the roof that it was a shake shingle roof underneath. What I wasn't expecting was that there were four layers of shingles tacked on to that shake shingle roof, and we began trying to tear that thing off, and it was awful. It took forever. What was supposed to be a matter of a few hours became a, a day-long project. And I remember thinking to myself, hey, you know, Things can't get any worse, right? Finally got the entire roof off and started uh, putting the sheeting down so we could put on a new roof. And it was at that point I realized how badly positioned my house is. Our house sits on a hill. Um, we have a walkout basement, and then it drops even farther after that. So the corner where we wanted to start putting the roof off was actually about three stories off of the ground. And I had absolutely no ladders, nothing. We had to do it from up above because we had no way to get up there from the ground. And I remember trying to get that first piece of plywood into place and struggling in fear. I'm scared of heights. I do a good job of hiding that, but personally I'm scared of heights. And we're up there perched on the very edge. And I know I have to be on the edgiest edge because I would feel awful if my family or my friend fell off. So we're up there trying to get this thing into position. I remember saying... Yeah, once we get this done, though, once we get this one on, it's all uphill from there. Things cannot get any worse. Let's just get this done. Just about the time we drove the last of the screws into that piece of, of sheeting, it started to rain. Sprinkles became showers, and very quickly our roofing project went from sheeting to, to tarping. And as fast as we could, we tarped that Remember, it was a shake shingle roof, so it was open rafters. Uh, tarp that roof as quickly as we could in the beginning of the rain and muttered about how awful the weathermen were because they told there was no weather, there was no rain in the forecast. Finally, we got the tarp in place, and being the pessimist I am, I'm there worried about the setback that would be, the delay that would cause, because I knew my friend and my brother-in-law only had so much time off of work, and if we took too long here, this would not be done before all my help went away. And 
I was fretting, I was panicking, but I kept telling myself, oh, don't worry about it. No, this will pass and it cannot get any worse. That rain that was just a sprinkle and just a light shower grew steadily harder and harder and harder until we had a week of the heaviest rains the city of Middletown has ever seen. It was, it was the year of the Middletown Fair, and it was completely flooded out. I, those that live in Middletown might, or have been through Middletown might remember, it was a 500-year flood, and I had no roof on my house. I remember as water ran down the inside walls of my home, and I wanted to say, but I knew I'd better not. <laughs> I wanted to say, at least things can't get anywhere. And I think it may, might be because of that experience that experience of life proving me wrong at every turn, that it could always get worse, that I have such a problem with that phrase. That idea that we should have hope because things have to get better because they can't get any worse. Maybe you can see why I distrust those words so much. And rightfully so. Here we are at the start of Advent, the season of hope, the season of expectation, the season in which we are called to be Offering hope to our world. And I'd like to start out by saying this. If the only hope that you have to offer the world is this naive reasoning that things have to get better because they can't get any worse, you'd be better off saying nothing at all. Because things can get worse. In fact, things can get so much worse that at times it makes us skeptical of hope. I find myself thinking, is, is this idea of hope just blissful ignorance? And then I come to Luke chapter 21. We only read a portion of it, but we come to Luke chapter 21. In the course of that chapter, Jesus is trying to offer his disciples hope. He's nearing the end of his earthly ministry. He's just wrapped up his final uh, recorded public teaching in the temple courts. In chapter 22, we will move into the Last Supper and then the arrest and trial and crucifixion. In a matter of days, Jesus will be arrested, placed on trial, wrongly convicted, and nailed to a cross to die. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is about to happen, and he is offering them in his own weird way, Jesus is offering them hope. Luke acknowledges that this wasn't Jesus' last visit to the temple. At the very end of chapter 21, it, it remarks that Jesus kept coming and going through the remainder of that week from the temple courts. He kept teaching publicly and then retiring to Bethany for the night. But those words aren't recorded by Luke. What was Jesus' last recorded teaching? It's his comments about the temple treasury system. A, a series of of large jars. A skeptical person would suspect they were intentionally engineered to make the offering of offerings as audible as possible. They called them trumpets because when you placed your money in them, you could hear that you were giving, and you could hear how much you were. It's kind of like alabaster time when kids are shaking out their coins into the alabaster bank. It's a temple treasury system designed for conspicuous offerings. And as Jesus is watching that go on, he notices a widow come and place in her two mites. You remember that story? 
something that Jesus said was all she had to live on. And Jesus notices that this temple treasury system is set up in such a way to pressure her to give everything she has and at the same time make her sacrificial gift seem paltry compared to the to the pocket change gift of the wealthy who have something to put in every one of those jars. You can almost sense Jesus' frustration with that system. It's as if Jesus has seen enough and he turns his back on the whole temple system, done with it all, and he walks away. As Jesus and his disciples make their way across the Kidron Valley, to the place they're staying off in Bethany, the disciples, seemingly oblivious to all of this, just can't help but keep talking about how awesome the temple is. They don't seem to sense how frustrated Jesus is with the temple system at all. They're just marveling at how big the stones are. And did you see the gifts that the people were bringing to God? Did you see how much they were putting? Did you see those? And finally, Jesus can't take it anymore. They're there talking about how awesome the temple is, and Jesus turns to them. Maybe I'm reading into it, but I hear frustration in his voice when he turns to them and says, as for what you've seen here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. That, of course, catches the disciples off guard. They did not see that coming at all. And obviously they have questions. When's this going to happen, Jesus? What are the signs that this is going to happen, Jesus? And Jesus begins explaining how bad it's going to get. He starts talking about false messiahs and false claims. Troubling rumors of far-off wars. In the midst of all of that, he offers them hope. He says, don't be frightened. But unlike the flimsy hope that we offer and the pretense that things can't get worse, Jesus acknowledges that things will get worse. He tells them about global unrest, nation, warring against nation. He tells them about natural disasters, earthquakes and famines, pestilence and disease, all sorts of fearful events. But before all that, Jesus tells his disciples, verse 12, before all this, they will seize you and they will persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues. They will put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors and all of this on account of my name. He goes on to say in verse 16, you'll be betrayed even by your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your friends. And they'll put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. (laughs) You think things are bad. Things can get worse. But stand firm, Jesus says, and you will win life. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, look at the bright side. Once you're persecuted, once you're arrested, once you're thrown in prison, uh, cheer up because it can't get any worse. No, just the opposite. He tells them just how much worse it can get. And it gets even worse still. Even worse than being persecuted in one's holy city is seeing that holy city ransacked and trampled to fall into the hands of your enemies and trampled beneath their feet. 
And Jesus says that too is on its way. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land, wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword. They will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to say, hey, Jesus, you might want to take some classes on hope giving. You know? This is not real encouraging, Jesus. Uh, But look at the bright side. Jesus doesn't say, look at the bright side, it can't get any worse. It's probably because Jesus knows it can get worse still. He's about to explain that to the disciples as well. As bad as it is to be persecuted in your own holy city, it's even worse to watch your holy city fall into the hands of its enemies and be trampled. But even worse than that is the end of the world. And that's what Jesus tells the disciples to expect next. And we read that passage. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars on the earth Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time they'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. As hope-giving goes, it almost makes Jesus seem like one of Job's buddies. You know? You're not doing a good job, Jesus. But maybe what Jesus is showing us is that hope does not lie in the naive expectation that things can't get worse. But instead, real hope lies in the right response even to the worst things that can happen to us. Jesus describes a couple of different responses to the bad things that can come in life in this passage. Uh, First, I want you to notice the response of those who do not know God. In verse 25 and 26, Jesus talks about that. He says, on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity. At the roaring and tossing of the sea, people will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world. And I know the NIV uses the word nations there. In fact, I think most of the other translations out there use the word nations in that verse because quite literally that's what the word that Luke records Jesus using means, nations. But you need to remember that while Luke is writing in Greek to a Greek-speaking audience, Jesus is a Jew speaking to a Jewish audience. And that word nations has a pretty specific meaning when spoken by a Jew to a Jewish audience. When when a Jew speaks of the nations, he's not talking about all people on earth. Uh, A Jew is speaking about everyone except us. There is the nation of Israel, and then there are the nations. So much so in many places in the New Testament where this word ethnos is used, nations, it gets translated Gentiles because that's what it means 
those who are not Jews. For a Jew, speaking to a Jewish audience, that word nation means the Gentiles, or we might say those godless heathens out there. And how do those godless heathens, those that do not know God, how do they respond when things go from bad to worse to even worse still? They respond in anguish and perplexity. That's an interesting word, perplexity. The word there literally is a compound word in the Greek. It it literally means as if there was no way forward. Literally, it means without a way through. They respond in anguish because they don't see any way through. And because they can't see a way through what is worse, they faint in fear. But Jesus describes another way of facing difficulty. He calls his disciples to a different way of life, and he should. He should, because while the world might not know the way, we have seen, we know the way and the truth and the life. We have a way through. And so while the world around us is falling falling down and fainting in despair, Jesus calls his disciples to stand up. Lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He says, as you see things go from bad to worse to even worse still, stand up. Have the kind of hope that gives you strength to make it through. Why? Because even as things are getting worse, our redemption is drawing near. And then he uses the analogy, the parable, Luke calls it, of the fig tree. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees when they sprout leaves. You can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. For a people with payless, we don't know what it's like to watch for the trees to bud and the fruit trees to blossom. I don't imagine any of us Maybe I'm making some assumptions about you that aren't true, but I don't imagine any of us know what it means to go through a winter watching your harvest dwindle, hoping there will be enough put up to get you through until the next harvest can come in. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've lived that kind of self-sufficient way. My family, when we run out, we just go back to pay less. But in Jesus' world, that's the way the world works. You harvest, you put up the harvest, and you hope that you have enough of the harvest to make it through to next year's harvest. And Jesus says it's like this. When things are going from bad to worse, and you're worrying, am I going to have enough to get through? Stand up, lift up your heads, see the budding of the fruit trees, and know The harvest is almost here. You have enough to make it through. And because we have hope, because we have hope, Jesus says, we need to live lives of watchful obedience. He goes on in the end of this passage to say, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing 
and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. Isn't that how those who don't know God respond to hardship and trouble? (laughs) Two responses. Drink until you forget it, or worry about it until it consumes you alive. Jesus is not you. You know the way. Don't allow your hearts to be weighed down either with drunkenness nor with anxiety. If you do, that day will close in on you like a trap. Instead, be always on the watch. Alert, attentive obedience. And pray that you might be able to... Prayerful action is the response of the hope-filled to the worsening of life. Stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And let that knowledge encourage you to purposeful action. That's the message of Advent. This has been a live recording from our Sunday morning service. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to join us, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 530 West 53rd Street in Anderson, Indiana. You can find out more about us online at southdalenaz.com. Again, that website is southdalenaz.com. Now go into peace and be a blessing.